Well, good morning. I, uh, I am always delighted when Pastor Jamie will entrust his music stand to me and uh, be able to come back. Actually, as Pastor Emeritus, my understanding is Latin means I can't believe he's still alive. But as Pastor Emeritus, I do get to come back from time to time. I'm president of Phoenix Seminary, always looking for new students, so I'm looking at you. But uh, uh, to come back as Pastor Emeritus and kind of remind the church of the DNA that makes Scottsdale Bible Church, Scottsdale Bible Church. I mean, 25 years of my heart is in this place. My, my family is in this place. My two boys who are now professors and, and, and ministers and preachers, they were seven and five when they came here. They're 39 and 37 now. And so, so this will always be a sense of, of, of home for us. And I always want to make sure and remind the fellowship, what is it that makes us us as a fellowship of those who, who love Jesus Christ? And so I want to remind you that in the Hebrew canon, in, in the Old Testament, you have uh, sandwiched between 17 historical books and 17 prophetic books. You have these five books called the wisdom books, wisdom literature. And I'm talking about Psalms, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Job, and and Proverbs, and in these wisdom books, the connections, the dots are put together uh, between knowledge and, and wisdom, knowing something, but how do you actually do it? How do you live it out? Wisdom is all about this issue of taking uh, decisions we make and knowing what the consequences will be, understanding the results of the life decisions that we make as far as our lifestyle. In other words, when God created this creation, He created it with natural laws so that it would not go into chaos naturally. And so there are laws like the law of gravity. You get on this building, you jump off, which way are you going to go? That was not a hard question. You're going to go down. What if you don't believe in the law of gravity? Well, you can debate it all the way down. In the same way that God placed physical laws that create this universe going to physically chaos, he also instilled moral laws, just as real, just as powerful and as physical laws, and, and all wisdom is, is the discovery of them. The discovery of them, making the connections on how this world God created, how it works, how it works. Probably the most important moral law the very basic moral law to all the other moral laws we find right out of Psalm 139, and that is the fact that God's presence is always with us. You can't escape it. You can't run away from it. You can't go some far distance to the east, the south, west to get away from it. God's presence is always with us. And so the question of wisdom is this. What do you do with it? Do you talk to it? I mean, we are creatures, he is creator, are creatures permitted to talk directly to the creator? In other words, the wisdom of prayer. What is it? Everybody I, I talk to believes in prayer, it seems like. Not everybody, most. And, and they think it's the most important thing you could ever do. And yet I've never met anybody who ever felt they pray enough. Why? If we really do think it's so important, how can we do so Little of it. Could, could it be because we're not too sure we know how this thing actually works? We hear phrases like, he who kneels before God can stand against anything. I like the sound of that. But what does it mean? What, what, what is, 
This whole thing about prayer is a bit befuddling to me when I, when I ask honest questions, like the question, what do you say to somebody who allegedly already knows everything? If God is omniscient, God is all wise, what am I going to suggest to make him brighter? God, I got a better idea today for this. Or if God is all good, fullness of goodness, what am I going to suggest to make him better? God, you pull this one off, you know, and you'll just kind of improve your moral status with everybody. It doesn't make any sense. Say, well, no, it takes faith, Daryl. You pray and you have faith. All right, I understand what faith is. I pray and I have faith. But what, what, what is faith? Are we talking about throwing dice here? Is prayer one big gamble that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose? Excuse me, faith means confidence. Faith means trust. You, 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 we all live. People say, well, I don't believe in faith. I'm sophisticated. Oh, get off it. We all live by faith. First of all, faith is not something you believe in. None of us do. Faith is something you believe with. You trust with. And we all trust something. When's the last time you've flown in an airplane? Do you check out the maintenance of the plane? Do you see if the pilot is sober? Do you even get a chance to smell his breath and look at him before he takes off? You know why? Why? I mean, Bible's over here. But why do they give us floating devices under our seats instead of parachutes? I mean, you really kind of wonder that people say, I don't believe in faith. We all live out faith. But the question is, if faith, is it a gamble, a guess, or is faith trust? The Bible says faith is absolute confidence, and so my question is, then I'm to have confidence in prayer, faith in prayer, but how can I have confidence in something that I'm not so sure I fully understand? Is it really that important? Well, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that it is, part, it is the will of God that we pray without ceasing. Ceasing is a Greek word for a cough that you can't clear your throat. It's this constant, constant, constant communication with that presence of God that is always with us. In some sense, the presence of God, God himself engages and responds when his creatures speak to him. Now, I'm not the only one confused about this prayer thing, how to talk to God. What is the wisdom of talking to the presence of God? Do you remember William Perry of the Chicago Bears in the late eight, uh, 1980s? Remember, he's called the Fridge. The chaplain of the Bears tells a story that when he was with the team before a game, he asked if anybody knew the Lord's Prayer. Perry raised his hand. Well, Jim McMahon, who was the famous quarterback at the time, chided Perry, saying, I'll give him 20 bucks if he knows the Lord's Prayer. Well, chaplain said, go ahead, Perry, William, Go ahead and share. And he stood up and he prayed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Then he sat down and smiled. Jim McMahon got up, walked over to William Perry, said, well, how did I know he knew it? And gave him the 20 bucks. So, so we're not the only ones confused about 
this, this prayer. So as we talk about wisdom to the wise, the DNA of this church, that we base it on prayer, then let's make sure if something's not working for you, let's take it apart and look at it again so we know exactly what is God's intention for this thing, talking to him in wisdom. If you haven't already, let's open our Bibles to one of those wisdom books, the book of Proverbs. And here in one verse, chapter 15 of Proverbs, one verse, verse 8, Solomon in all his wisdom summarizes the whole thing. He says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Interesting, Solomon begins his discussion about prayer with a warning. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. This word sacrifice in the Hebrew is in parallel with prayer. Sacrifice, prayer, honoring God. The same thing he's referring to here. And he says that when this praying, this sacrificing, this honoring of God comes from the wicked, when the wicked try it, God says it's obnoxious to him. Man, this is the difference between divine delight and divine disgust. The Hebrew word wicked literally means disjointed bones. It's interesting, our English word comes from the Anglo-Saxon, wicca, which basically means witch. There is a kind of prayer God says is more like witchcraft than it is to anything that would be honoring or delightful to him. But what makes it like witchcraft? Why is this, this kind of prayer is an abomination to God? Well, there are those that are basically more concerned with themselves. As far as they're concerned, their trinity is me, myself, and I, and that's it. The prayer is no more than basically, what can I get out of God? My will be done on earth. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what prayer really is all about? Asking God for things, kind of a cosmic uh, uh, Santa Claus. And, and, and you, if you ask God, maybe it's a gamble. You'll get what you want. Prayer becomes a witchy thing, a witchy thing, when prayer becomes magic. Have you ever looked up the word magic? A lot of Christians talk about prayer, and if you listen to them, they're not talking about prayer, they're talking about magic. Because all the word magic means is the manipulation of spiritual powers to carry out your own will, your own pleasures and desires. Well, that sounds like, for a lot of people, what they think prayer is all about. God says, no, no, that's the witchy thing. That's witchcraft. That's magic. Trying to manipulate spiritual powers to accomplish your will on earth, your desires. James says in James 4, the reason you don't have answers to your prayer because you ask amiss, you burn it up on your own lust. That's why Solomon starts with a real warning here. When we start talking about, okay, well, how does this prayer thing work? We better have our eyes wide open. Why do you think God says it's actually disgusting to him when the wicked pray? Well, if someone communicated to you, they don't really give a hoot about you or your honor or your purposes or plan or will, but then they go around and they pretend they do. What's more loathsome than that kind of hypocrisy? And I got you all depressed. Let's turn the corner, because Solomon does, because he says, now on the other hand, the upright, when they pray, it's God's delight. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. This word upright means straight, on the level. The Hebrew idiom speaks of right in the eyes of God. 
somebody who's upright, they're, they're in a right relationship with God as father-son, father-daughter. And it is the characteristic of a son and a daughter to want to please and honor their father. That's why in, in Psalm 37 4, he says, Now delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. The Hebrew actually is take pleasure as a son, daughter of a heavenly father, take pleasure in pleasing God, and he will literally implant his desires into your heart. So what you are desiring was authored by him, not by you. That's the heart of the upright. It has everything to do with the purposes of God versus the purposes of me. Look, look, look at Psalm. Turn to Psalm 19. Let me show you. In Psalm 19, here's a bad case of the normals for a son, a, a child of a heavenly father. Uh, in Psalm 19, notice the statement of David. And David says this, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Ha, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Ha, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold to me, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, than the drippings of the honeycomb. Do you feel that way about the purposes of God? Do you feel that way about the will of God being lived out and placed in your life? Most people are afraid of the will of God. Most people are afraid of the purposes of God for their life. They don't like the idea. And yet, what's the whole point of prayer in the first place? Turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, John says, let me tell you why I came back and wrote this little letter to you. 1 John chapter 5, he tells us in verse 13. John says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know something. I wrote these things so you can know something. Know what? He says, no, you have eternal life. Know that you have a relationship with God as your Father. And that God as your father has a relationship with you as a son and as a daughter. He says, I've written these things that you might know you have that kind of relationship with God. So he says now, verse 14, this is the confidence. Talk about faith. This is the confidence which we have before him. Well, what's this confidence we have? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Now I know what you're thinking. You're going, um, yeah, I understand. That's what the Bible says. If we ask anything, God will hear our request and he'll give us whatever we ask. Um, how many have ever experienced unanswered prayer? I'll wait. How many of you have experienced a lot of unanswered prayer? Well, then let's get our scissors and we better start cutting this baby right out of here. Or we got a liar for a God and this whole thing is really one big joke. Although, you know, when you, when you have a contract, you ought to read it carefully. 
And you ought to read this fine print. Look at verse 14 again. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his, his will, he hears us. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. If he hears us, we have the request. But he only hears us if we've asked according to his will. You go, oh man, there's the catch. <laughs> Why do we say that's a catch? Well, because most people are afraid of the will of God. Guys, remember in high school, want to play football? And you just knew in youth group that God's will was to break your legs and make you play the flute. You know, girls, you knew God's will was to put a bun on your head, send you to Africa and be alone and never have children. You know? I mean, we get this idea that God is this cosmic killjoy and that his whole thing, his purposes, his will, his desire for your life is to make you smell like liverwurst and be alone for your whole life. We just think God is the author of misery and pain, and this is what he wants to accomplish. Most people are scared to death of the will of God. And the reason is because God's got some real bad PR on this one. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Let me show you what I mean. Here the Apostle Paul, first 11 chapters, says this is all that God's done for you because he loves you. He's saved you, forgiven your sins, preserved you, assured you, given you a future. He's done all of this. And in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, now I'm begging he says, therefore, I'm urging, I'm begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God, once and for all, present your body a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your, your, your reasonable service of worship. God says, now, would you once and for all present your body, your life, as a sacrifice to me? You say, okay, but before I make that decision, what is he going to do with it? When well, Moses says a living sacrifice, that's good news. <laughs> living so far. All right, good, good. I get to keep living here. But while I'm living, what's he going to do with it if I give it to him? Well, notice a little PR work. He says, and stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, you want to play with my brain. You want me to start thinking a little differently. So that, watch this, so that, you've heard babies cry before, so watch this. Well, not quite like that. You know, gee whiz. Bless you, child. Good thing you love and loving father. Kiss that little one for us all, all right? Notice just be transformed by... <laughs> I do believe there are demons that are assigned to sweet little babies just to pinch them, right, when we're making an important point, you know. <laughs> he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, here's the so that, you may prove. Prove what? Prove that the will of God is not something to be afraid of. But the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The world's scared to death of the will of God. God says, could I have some of my children just finally make up their mind to not be afraid of my purposes for their life, not be afraid of my will for their life, and just let it happen. Live out my will and let the world see that my will is something that is good, acceptable, actually perfect. Stop being so afraid. And you want to know this renewing of the mind has everything to do with prayer. 
talking to God. Go back to chapter 8. Here the Apostle Paul says this. You know, you got a problem, verse 26. Paul says, in the same way the Spirit, Spirit of God, also helps our weakness. What weakness? I don't have weakness. Oh, yeah. What weakness? For we do not know how to pray as we should. So let's just own up to it. We struggle with it. We don't pray because we're not so sure we know what we're doing here. But he says, helps on the way. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, God, who searches our hearts, he knows what we really want. What the mind, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is. They've got great communication. For the Holy Spirit intercedes for us because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God knows my heart. God, I want, I trust your purposes. I trust your will for my life. So Lord, when I pray, I don't always know how to pray so those purposes will actually come in through in my life. So I pray, and I pray, and I silence from heaven. And it's like I, I, I have no answers to my prayers. And I start losing trust and respect for the one who promises to, to answer my prayers. In reality, could it be that when we pray, we are so far off of the purpose and the will of God for our lives that by the time the Holy Spirit conforms that prayer to the will of God and God hears it and answers it, we don't even recognize the answer when it comes and we declare it unanswered prayer. What does the next verse say here in Romans 8? It's famous. And we know that God works all things together for good. I always thought that's kind of like a cosmic visa card. Everything's going to turn out just fine. It's not what it says. He says, if you pray, Spirit will intercede, conform your prayer to the will of God. If you pray, notice, good will come. We know that God causes all work together for good. What's the good? To those who love God, to those who are called according to his, what? His purposes. His purposes. When we pray, good will come. But that good are the purposes of God for my life. How do I feel about that? How do I feel about that? That's really the issue. Remember, prayer is not about what God, giving God us what we want. Prayer is about God giving us what He wants. Well then, what are these purposes of God for my life? How do I know what to, what's the wisdom to talk to, to God about His purposes in my life? What is God even interested in? That He would have purposes for my life. We know the disciples of Jesus asked him the exact same question. Lord, teach us how to, how to pray. And Matthew 6, in the original, Jesus gives us a 66-word answer with six petitions, six topics, six areas that God has purposes for your life. And the first three had to do with him and our relationship with him, and the last three had to do with us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. 
And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Those are six petitions. Six areas that God has purposes for my life. First three have to do with him. His name. Hallowed be thy name. God wants me to know who he is. His reputation, his name, all that he is. So God wants me to talk to him about his purposes of me learning, deepening, understanding who my Heavenly Father is. God's very interested in engaging with us on that. Thy kingdom come. He also is very interested about the kingdom he's going to give to his son. And that you are all part of that kingdom, living out the kingdom ethic. And, and adoring and, and responding to honor to the, the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ, his son. Honoring his son, Jesus Christ. God's very interested in us learning his purposes for how we respond and live out in honoring his son, the king of the kingdom. Thy will be done. He's very interested that we get a handle on living out his will. His will. And then daily bread. He's got purposes for my physical needs. So yes, bring your physical needs. But my problem is that I don't know which are my physical needs and which ones are my physical lusts and which ones are my physical wants and my, my physical... But he wants to teach me what are my needs. Pray and good will come. The good will be the purposes of God. Embrace what comes as the purpose of God and learn. Our relationships forgive us, Lord, as we sin, forgive as we forgive those who sin against us. He has purpose about our relationships, the way we treat each other. Remember the mark Jesus said in John 13, the whole world's going to know you're his disciples by the way you treat each other, the way you love each other. Now, last of all, our trials lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. We're going through trials. God has purposes. God has purposes in that pain, that sorrow. God's purposes are not always fun. That's why sometimes it's hard to trust. That's why there's going to be times I'm going to howl at the moon just like Job. There's going to be times I'm going to cry. There's going to be times I'm going to get angry. But down in my soul, it is well. It is well. You see, God honors the greatest likeness to his son. All those purposes are all moving that we begin to live and act more like his son. His son. Jesus said if we ask anything in his name, we have the request. In John 14, in John 15, in John 16, Jesus said, have you asked anything in my name? Ask and you shall receive. If you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You do not have because you have not asked in my name. Well, what, what is this asking in the name of Jesus Christ? Are we back to witchcraft? Is this a, a, a Wicca thing? Is this a little uh, incantation? Add that to the end of your prayer, and you force the hand of God. God goes, oh, hey, Gabriel, they said the magic words. We're going to have to give them what they want. <laughs> and especially if we use a lot of syllables in the name, name of Jesus. <laughs> Somehow God goes, hoo, we really got to do something for you now. What in the world does it mean to pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ? Back in these days, they didn't have, well, they had the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, Roman roads. Before that, you didn't go from town to town. You'd get killed. By, you'd be you know, uh, raped and assaulted by thieves. 
But finally, with the Roman roads, you could go from town to town, and they had Roman guards to protect those roads, so you could actually send ambassadors. People would go to another town as your ambassador to represent you, to go in your name. So when you send somebody to someone else and they would make a request in your name, the request they're making is the request of the one whose name is quoted. That, in other words, if I'm going to go and represent you, I would go through and I'd say, all right, I've come in the name of Paul, and here's what Paul wants. So when we come to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, what we're telling the Father is, Heavenly Father, and this is what Jesus Christ wants. I come in his name. But how do I know what Jesus wants? In John 14, remember, he forgets his lunch. The guys show up, and he says, I'm not hungry. He says, why? Who, who brought him lunch? And remember what Jesus said? My food is to do the, the will of him who sent me. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, hey, I have come to do, I've come to this earth to do my Father's will. Chapter 6, he says, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. What the great sign of that was in Matthew 26, the night before he's crucified, and he's begging the Father, can we do something other than crucifixion? Because he read the pamphlet, and it hurts. So he says, Father, can you move, remove this cup from me, this cup of the cross, this cup of suffering? But how did he end his prayer? But not my will, but Jesus was all about the will of God, the purposes of God. And so if I ever go to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, it better be a prayer asking for the purposes of God, a prayer according to his will, so the Father hears. And if the Father hears, he does respond. You pray, good will come, and the good are the purposes of God for you. How do you feel about that? You know, Job was wondering the same thing. Those of you who endured the study of Job with me in the president's class last year, on Monday night, right here, remember what we learned? Don't answer that. It'll break my heart. But basically, Job was wondering the same thing. Job was, actually thought God was, was an enemy. Job, again, was howling at the moon because he wasn't too sure he could trust the purposes of God. Finally, God breaks in and gives him a speech. Job, where were you when I made the heavens and the earth, you penny little nothing? But apparently, Job doesn't get it because at the end of that speech, Job goes, okay, you're bigger than I am. There's not much I can do about it. <sighs> So God comes back with a second speech. God had to actually give a second speech to Job before Job finally got it in chapter 42 when Job goes, I got it. I now repent in ashes. For God, I've learned that no purpose of thine can be thwarted, for they are driven by your wisdom. Oh, the will of God his purposes for my life, if I pray, good will come, even if I don't recognize it because the Spirit had to so change it as he interceded for me to the Father, as I prayed in the name of the Son, but the good that came was the fact that his purposes in my life moved forward. 
And those purposes are driven by the wisdom of God. Can I sleep well with that? Can I, for once in my life, say, it is well with my soul? And even though I may cry, and even though I may suffer the loss of a child, or a health, or a dream, do I have the confidence that my Heavenly Father's purposes will prevail, will not be thwarted, and those purposes are driven by his wisdom, not mine. Can I trust that? story of a man who was running near the edge of a cliff and he slipped and fell. He would have fallen to his death, but the last minute his hand grabbed a root that was growing out of the side of the mountain and he's holding on to this root with one hand. A thousand feet below him. He begins to scream, God, help me. God, God, help voice from heaven booms. I am here, my son, and I will help you. Let go. The man thought about it for a moment, then responded with, is there anyone else up there? <laughs> and that's usually how we pray. And you want to know why it's an abomination to God when the wicked do witchcraft, call it prayer? is because they use prayer as an excuse to hate God. Because when they pray and they do the witchcraft and want to manipulate to get out of God what they want and they don't get it, so their grandmother dies, their mother dies, they lose a job, whatever it is, now they're bitter and hateful and dismiss the existence of God. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you struggle with that and all of us have friends that that's their excuse to declare that God isn't. That's why it's an abomination to God. And people will use prayer as an excuse to eventually, because it's going to be all about them, to use it to hate him. And that's what witchcraft do. And so, he says, but the delight of the upright, they're not afraid of the purposes of God. And so when I pray, I pray. This Thursday, a very important meeting I have, I know what I want. I made it very clear to God, all my counsel, people say they want to serve God, but most of us want to do it in an advisory position. So God, I'm ready to advise you. Here's what would be really, really great. What I don't know is if God looks down and realizes, yeah, Daryl, it may be great at first, but it could blow up in your face. So instead of being all nervous about Thursday, I'm just curious about Thursday. Because the good that will come in answer to my prayers... I don't know if God's going to surprise me. But whatever he does, I'll embrace. See, some people view life as a chess game. You make your moves, set it all up, think about all your moves, get it all figured out. If you're really, really brilliant, you know, all you got now is just move all the moves. Just nobody spill the board. Or is life more like tennis? Tennis, you got to play and respond to whatever's thrown at you. And so, when it's coming at you, what do you do? You become bitter, angry, punish God by just not praying anymore? 
Or do you embrace the purposes and the will of God and says, God, this doesn't make sense, this hurts, this is not what I was hoping for, but God, I trust your wisdom, your purposes, they shall not be thwarted, they're driven by your wisdom, God, give me the wisdom to embrace it. Give me the wisdom to embrace it. And all of a sudden, prayer becomes a dynamic of your spiritual life. And something that you will pray unceasingly. Because you'll always want to know what the next purpose is all about. Does this make sense at all? Because we're going to do it two more times. Come back in an hour if you didn't get it right. Or tonight at five. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your graciousness, your patience with us that we just take for granted that we can talk to your presence at any time. And yet, Lord, you have given us permission to do so. And Lord, you will respond and implement your will and purposes. Could it be that some of those purposes you'll only implement if we pray so that we'll see those good purposes and learn to embrace them? And so, Father, guide us that we might walk worthy of that great calling to glorify you. To you may all the glory be given. We pray for this knowing this would be the prayer of Jesus Christ. So it's in his name we pray. God bless you and walk worthy. Bless the